Hello and welcome to the Strange Tales podcast. Presented by me your host Winston R. Douglas. We are a podcast that looks a weird and wonderful tales from history, true crime, conspiracies and much more. I will try to cover various topics from different eras hopefully we can take a journey through history together. If you are a first time listener please look back on our previous episodes. If you are a returning listener thank you for your continual support. If you enjoy the podcast please smash that gorgeous like button, and subscribe so that you will be notified to future shows. Also if you could write a 5 star review that would really help us get the word out, so other people can enjoy the podcast as well. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Strange Tales Pod. Or you can message me at strangetalespod at gmail.com, with feedback or ideas on future shows. If you would like to support the podcast you can do so through Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash strangetalespod. Where we have plans from as little as 3 US dollars a month and you can opt out any time. Any help is much appreciated. Margareta G. Ertruida MacLeod, she was a Dutch exotic Asian-inspired dancer that toured Europe. Matahari, meaning Eye of the Day in Malay, in reality she was born in a small town in northern Holland in 1876. She became a famous courtesan, and with the outbreak of World War I her catalogue of lovers began to include high-ranking military officers of various nationalities. In February 1917, French authorities arrested her for espionage and imprisoned her at Street Lazare Prison in Paris. In a military trial conducted in July, she was accused of revealing details of the Allies' new weapon, the tank, resulting in the deaths of thousands of soldiers. There is evidence that Matahari acted as a German spy, and for a time as a double agent for the French, but the Germans had written her off as an ineffective agent whose pillow talk had produced little intelligence of value. Her military trial was riddled with bias and circumstantial evidence, and it is probable that French authorities trumped her up as the greatest woman spy of the century as a distraction for the huge losses the French army was suffering on the Western Front. Okay let's get into today's strange tale. Margareta Giertruida Zell was born 7 August 1876 in Leeuwarden, Netherlands. She was the eldest of four children to Adam Zell and his first wife Antje van der Meulen. She had three younger brothers, Johannes Hendricks, Eri Anne, and Cornelis Coonrot. She was affectionately called Mgreet by her family. Despite traditional assertions that Matahari was partly of Jewish, Malaysian, or of Indonesian, descent, scholars conclude she had no Jewish or Asian ancestry and both of her parents were Dutch. Her father owned a hat shop, made investments in the oil industry, and became affluent enough to give Margareta and her siblings a lavish early childhood that included exclusive schools until the age of 13. Soon after Margareta's father went bankrupt in 1889, her parents divorced, and her mother died in 1891. Her father remarried in Amsterdam on 9 February 1893 to Susanna Catharina Tenhove. The family fell apart, and Margareta was sent to live with her godfather, Mr. Visser, in Sneek. 
Subsequently, she studied to be a kindergarten teacher in Leiden, but when the headmaster began to flirt with her conspicuously, she was removed from the institution by her godfather. A few months later, she fled to her uncle's home in The Hague. At 18, Margareta answered an advertisement in a Dutch newspaper placed by Dutch colonial army captain Rudolf MacLeod, who was living in what was then the Dutch East Indies now Indonesia, and was looking for a wife. Zell married MacLeod in Amsterdam on the 11th of July 1895. He was the son of Captain John Breen and MacLeod a descendant of the Gesto branch of the MacLeods of Skye, hence his Scottish surname and Dina Luisa, Baroness Sweerts de Landas. The marriage enabled Zell to move into the Dutch upper class and placed her finances on a sound footing. She moved with her husband to Malang on the east side of the island of Java, traveling out on the SS Princess Amalia in May 1897. They had two children, Norman John MacLeod and Louise Jeanne MacLeod. The marriage was an overall disappointment, MacLeod was an alcoholic and regularly beat Zell, whom he blamed for his lack of promotion. He also openly kept a concubine, a socially accepted practice in the Dutch East Indies at that time. The disenchanted Zell abandoned him temporarily, moving in with Van Reeds, another Dutch officer. She studied Indonesian culture intensely for several months and joined a local dance company during that time. In correspondence to her relatives in the Netherlands in 1897, she revealed her artistic name of Matahari, the word for sun in the local Malay language literally, Eye of the Day. At MacLeod's urging, Zell returned to him, but his behavior did not change. In 1899, their children fell violently ill from complications relating to the treatment of syphilis contracted from their parents, though the family claimed they were poisoned by an irate servant. Jeanne survived, but Norman died. Some sources maintain that one of MacLeod's enemies may have poisoned their supper to kill both of their children. After moving back to the Netherlands, the couple officially separated on 30 August 1902. The divorce became final in 1906, and Zell was awarded custody of Jan. MacLeod was legally required to pay child support, which he never did. During a visit to Jeanne, MacLeod decided not to return her to her mother. Zell did not have the resources to fight the situation and accepted it, believing that while MacLeod had been an abusive husband, he had always been a good father. Jeanne later died at the age of 21, possibly from complications related to syphilis. In 1903, Zell moved to Paris, where she performed as a circus horse rider using the name Lady MacLeod, much to the disapproval of the Dutch MacLeods. Struggling to earn a living, she also posed as an artist's model. By 1904, Mata Hari began to rise to prominence as an exotic dancer. She was a contemporary of dancers Isadora Duncan and Ruth Street Dennis, leaders in the early modern dance movement, which around the turn of the 20th century looked to Asia and Egypt for artistic inspiration. Critics would later write about this and other such movements within the context of Orientalism. Gabriel Astruc became her personal booking agent. Promiscuous, flirtatious, and openly flaunting her body, 
Mata Hari captivated her audiences and was an overnight success from the debut of her act at the Mosaic Gimmit on 13 March 1905. She became the longtime mistress of the millionaire lion industrialist Emile Etienne Gimmit, who had founded the Musée. She posed as a Javanese princess of priestly Hindu birth, pretending to have been immersed in the art of sacred Indian dance since childhood. She was photographed numerous times during this period, nude or nearly so. Some of these pictures were obtained by MacLeod and strengthened his case in keeping custody of their daughter. Matahari brought a carefree provocative style to the stage in her act, which garnered wide acclaim. The most celebrated segment of her act was her progressive shedding of clothing until she wore just a jeweled breastplate and some ornaments upon her arms and head. She was never seen bare-chested as she was self-conscious about having small breasts. She wore a body stocking for her performances that was similar in color to her own skin, but that was later omitted. Although Matahari's claims about her origins were fictitious, it was very common for entertainers of her era to invent colorful stories about their origins as part of the show. Her act was successful because it elevated erotic dance to a more respectable status and so broke new ground in a style of entertainment for which Paris was later to become world famous. Her style and free-willed attitude made her a popular woman, as did her eagerness to perform in exotic and revealing clothing. She posed for provocative photos and mingled in wealthy circles. Since most Europeans at the time were unfamiliar with the Dutch East Indies, Matahari was thought of as exotic, and it was assumed her claims were genuine. One evidently enthusiastic French journalist wrote in a Paris newspaper that Matahari was so feline, extremely feminine, majestically tragic, the thousand curves and movements of her body trembling in a thousand rhythms. One journalist in Vienna wrote after seeing one of her performances that Matahari was slender and tall with the flexible grace of a wild animal, and with blue-black hair and that her face makes a strange foreign impression. By about 1910, myriad imitators had arisen. Critics began to opine that the success and dazzling features of the popular Matahari were due to cheap exhibitionism, and lacked artistic merit. Although she continued to schedule important social events throughout Europe, she was held in disdain by serious cultural institutions as a dancer who did not know how to dance. Matahari's career went into decline after 1912. On 13 March 1915, she performed in what would be the last show of her career. She had begun her career relatively late for a dancer and had started putting on weight. However, by this time she had become a successful courtesan, known more for her sensuality, and eroticism than for her beauty. She had relationships with high-ranking military officers, politicians, and others in influential positions in many countries. Her relationships and liaisons with powerful men frequently took her across international borders. Prior to World War I, she was generally viewed as an artist and a free-spirited bohemian, but as war approached, she began to be seen by some as a wanton and promiscuous woman, and perhaps a dangerous seductress. During World War I, the Netherlands remained neutral. As a Dutch subject, 
Zell was thus able to cross national borders freely. To avoid the battlefields, she traveled between France and the Netherlands via Spain and Britain, and her movements inevitably attracted attention. During the war, Zell was involved in what was described as a very intense romantic sexual relationship with Captain Vadim Mosloff, a 23-year-old Russian pilot serving with the French, whom she called the love of her life. Mosloff was part of the 50,000-strong Russian expeditionary force, sent to the Western Front in the spring of 1916. In the summer of 1916, Mosloff was shot down and badly wounded, during a dogfight with the Germans, losing his sight in his left eye, which led Zell to ask for permission to visit her wounded lover at the hospital where he was staying near the front. As a citizen of a neutral country, Zell would not normally be allowed near the front. Zell was met by agents from the M Bureau who told her that she would be allowed to see Mosloff if she agreed to spy for France. Before the war, Zell had performed as Matahari several times before the Crown Prince Wilhelm, eldest son of Kaiser Wilhelm II and nominally a senior German general on the Western Front. The M Bureau believed she might be able to obtain information by seducing the Crown Prince for military secrets. In fact, his involvement was minimal and it was German government propaganda that promoted the image of the Crown Prince as a great warrior, the worthy successor to the Hohenzollern monarchs who had made Prussia strong and powerful. They wanted to avoid publicizing that the man expected to be the next Kaiser was a playboy noted for womanizing, partying, and indulging in alcohol, who spent another portion of his time associating with far right-wing politicians, with the intent to have his father declared insane and deposed. Unaware that the Crown Prince did not have much to do with the running of Army Group Crown Prince or the Fifth Army, the M Bureau offered Zell 1 million francs if she could seduce him and provide France with good intelligence about German plans. The fact that the Crown Prince had, before 1914, never commanded a unit larger than a regiment, and was now supposedly commanding both an army and an army group at the same time should have been a clue that his role in German decision-making was mostly nominal. Zell's contact with the M Bureau was Captain Georges Ledu, who was later to emerge as one of her principal accusers. In November 1916, she was traveling by steamer from Spain when her ship called at the British port of Falmouth. There she was arrested and brought to London where she was interrogated at length by Sir Basil Thompson, assistant commissioner at New Scotland Yard in charge of counter-espionage. He gave an account of this in his 1922 book Queer People, saying that she eventually admitted to working for the M Bureau. Initially detained in Cannon Street Police Station, she was then released and stayed at the Savoy Hotel. A full transcript of the interview is in Britain's National Archives and was broadcast, with Matahari played by Eleanor Bron, on the independent station LBC in 1980. It is unclear if she lied on this occasion, believing the story made her sound more intriguing, or if French authorities were using her in such a way but would not acknowledge her due to the embarrassment and international backlash it could cause. In late 1916, Zell traveled to Madrid, where she met with the German military attaché Major Arnold Kaller, and asked if he could arrange a meeting with the Crown Prince. During this period, 
Zell apparently offered to share French secrets with Germany in exchange for money, though whether this was because of greed or an attempt to set up a meeting with Crown Prince Wilhelm remains unclear. In January 1917, Major Kalle transmitted radio messages to Berlin describing the helpful activities of a German spy codenamed H-21, whose biography so closely matched Zell's that it was patently obvious that Agent H-21 could only be Mata Hari. The Dozium Bureau intercepted the messages and, from the information they contained, identified H-21 as Mata Hari. The messages were in a code that German intelligence knew had already been broken by the French, suggesting that the messages were contrived to have Zell arrested by the French. General Walter Nikolai, the chief intelligence officer of the German army, had grown very annoyed that Mata Hari had provided him with no intelligence worthy of the name, instead selling the Germans mere Paris gossip about the sex lives of French politicians and generals, and decided to terminate her employment by exposing her as a German spy to the French. In December 1916, the Second Bureau of the French War Ministry let Mata Hari obtain the names of six Belgian agents. Five were suspected of submitting fake material and working for the Germans, while the sixth was suspected of being a double agent for Germany and France. Two weeks after Mata Hari had left Paris for a trip to Madrid, the double agent was executed by the Germans, while the five others continued their operations. This development served as proof to the Second Bureau that the names of the six spies had been communicated by Mata Hari to the Germans. On 13 February 1917, Mata Hari was arrested in her room at the Hotel Elysee Palace on the Champs Elysee in Paris. She was put on trial on 24 July, accused of spying for Germany, and consequently causing the deaths of at least 50,000 soldiers. Although the French and British intelligence suspected her of spying for Germany, neither could produce definite evidence against her. Supposedly, secret ink was found in her room, which was incriminating evidence in that period. She contended that it was part of her makeup. Zell's principal interrogator, who grilled her relentlessly, was Captain Pierre Bouchardon, he was later to prosecute her at trial. Bouchardon was able to establish that much of the Mata Hari persona was invented, and far from being a Javanese princess, Zell was actually Dutch, which he was to use as evidence of her dubious and dishonest character at her trial. Zell admitted to Bouchardon that she had accepted 20,000 francs from a German diplomat in the Netherlands to spy on France, but insisted she only passed on to the Germans trivial information as her loyalty was entirely to her adopted nation. France. In the meantime, Ledoux had been preparing a case against his former agent by casting all of her activities in the worst possible light, going so far as to engage in evidence tampering. In 1917, France had been badly shaken by the great mutinies of the French army in the spring of 1917 following the failure of the Nivelle offensive together with a huge strike wave, and at the time many believed that France might simply collapse as a result of war exhaustion. In July 1917, a new government under Georges Clemenceau had come into power, utterly committed to winning the war. In this context, 
Having one German spy on whom everything that went wrong with the war so far could be blamed was most convenient for the French government, making Mata Hari the perfect scapegoat, which explains why the case against her received maximum publicity in the French press, and led to her importance in the war being greatly exaggerated. The Canadian historian Wesley Wax stated in a 2014 interview that Mata Hari was never an important spy and just made a scapegoat for French military failures which she had nothing to do with, stating. They needed a scapegoat, and she was a notable target for scapegoating. Likewise, the British historian Julie Wheelwright stated. She really did not pass on anything that you couldn't find in the local newspapers in Spain. Wheelwright went on to describe Zell as, an independent woman, a divorcee, a citizen of a neutral country, a courtesan and a dancer, which made her a perfect scapegoat for the French, who were then losing the war. She was kind of held up as an example of what might happen if your morals were too loose. Zell wrote several letters to the Dutch ambassador in Paris, claiming her innocence. My international connections are due of my work as a dancer, nothing else. Because I really did not spy, it is terrible that I cannot defend myself. The most terrible and heartbreaking moment for Mata Hari during the trial occurred when her lover Mosloff, by now a deeply embittered man as a result of losing his eyes in combat, declined to testify for her, telling her he did not care if she was convicted or not. It was reported that Zell fainted when she learned that Mosloff had abandoned her. Her defense counsel, veteran international lawyer Eduard Clunit, faced impossible odds, he was denied permission either to cross-examine the prosecution's witnesses or to examine his own witnesses directly. Bouchardin used the fact that Zell was a woman as evidence of her guilt, saying, without scruples, accustomed to making use of men, she is the type of woman who is born to be a spy. Zell has often been portrayed as a femme fatale, the dangerous, seductive woman who uses her sexuality to effortlessly manipulate men, but others view her differently. In the words of the American historians Norman Palmer and Thomas Allen she was naive and easily duped, a victim of men rather than a victimizer. Mata Hari herself admitted under interrogation to taking money to work as a German spy. It is contended by some historians that Mata Hari may have merely accepted money from the Germans without actually carrying out any spy duties. At her trial, Zell vehemently insisted that her sympathies were with the Allies and declared her passionate love of France, her adopted homeland. In October 2001, Documents released from the archives of MI5, British counterintelligence, were used by a Dutch group, the Matahari Foundation, to ask the French government to exonerate Zell as they argued that the MI5 files proved she was not guilty of the charges she was convicted of. A spokesman from the Matahari Foundation argued that at most Zell was a low-level spy who provided no secrets to either side, stating, we believe that there are sufficient doubts concerning the dossier of information that was used to convict her to warrant reopening the case. Maybe she wasn't entirely innocent, but it seems clear she wasn't the master spy whose information sent thousands of soldiers to their deaths, as has been claimed. Zell was executed by a firing squad of 12 French soldiers just before dawn on 15 October 1917. She was 41. According to an eyewitness account by British reporter Henry Wales, 
She was not bound and refused a blindfold. She defiantly blew a kiss to the firing squad. A 1934 New Yorker article reported that at her execution she wore a neat Amazonian tailored suit, especially made for the occasion, and a pair of new white gloves, though another account indicates she wore the same suit, low-cut blouse, and tricorn hat ensemble which had been picked out by her accusers for her to wear at trial, and which was still the only full, clean outfit which she had in prison. Neither description matches photographic evidence. Wales recorded her death saying that after the volley of shots rang out, slowly, inertly, she settled to her knees, her head up always, and without the slightest change of expression on her face. For the fraction of a second it seemed she tottered there, on her knees, gazing directly at those who had taken her life. Then she fell backward, bending at the waist, with her legs doubled up beneath her. A non-commissioned officer then walked up to her body, pulled out his revolver, and shot her in the head to make sure she was dead. Matahari's body was not claimed by any family members and was accordingly used for medical study. Her head was embalmed and kept in the Museum of Anatomy in Paris. In 2000, archivists discovered that it had disappeared, possibly as early as 1954, according to curator Roger Sabin, during the museum's relocation. Her head remains missing. Records dated from 1918 show that the museum also received the rest of the body, but none of the remains could later be accounted for. Matahari's sealed trial and related other documents, a total of 1,275 pages, were declassified by the French army in 2017, 100 years after her execution. Thank you all so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed today's strange tale. If you did please smash that gorgeous like button, and subscribe so that you will be notified to future shows. Also if you could write a 5 star review that would really help us get the word out, so other people can enjoy the podcast as well. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Strange Tales Pod. Or you can message me at strangetalespod at gmail.com, with feedback or ideas on future shows. If you would like to support the podcast you can do so through Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash strangetalespod. Where we have plans from as little as 3 US dollars a month and you can opt out anytime. Any help is much appreciated. This is me your host Winston R. Douglas signing out for now. Thanks again hope to see you again soon.